You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 437, Introduction to the Parables, Part 3. So for the last couple of episodes, we've explored what Jesus taught and how Jesus taught. And this is just a, a, a very superficial overview, but I wanted to give you uh, some context for the parables that Jesus taught explaining the kingdom of God. And so today we're going to wrap up, but we're going to dig into uh, some of Luke's parables. Matthew and Mark uh, contain many of the same parables. Luke has some of those too, but he also has um, some extra parables that that don't make it into Matthew and Mark and John. And remember, each gospel writer was writing to a specific church, a specific group of people. And he put the parables that he put in there for a reason. And so I'm going to look at a few of Luke's, and then we'll talk about them. But before we do that, I wanted to let you know this episode of Leading and Learning is brought to you by my book, Peter and Paul in Acts. Now, Peter and Paul in Acts focuses on the Acts of the Apostles and those two great apostles. However, because the two books, the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, were written by the same guy, I give an introduction to Luke's gospel as well. So it's kind of like two books for the price of one, even though we spend most of our time talking about Acts, you'll actually gain some real insight into the gospel of Luke as well. So check it out. It's one of those books that just needs to be on your bookshelf as a reference after you've read it. Um, You go back through and check it multiple times because I know it's going to help you as you study these two great books. So the first parable we're going to look at is called The Good Samaritan. And if, if you grew up going to Sunday school, I know you've heard this, but the, 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 the conversation starts when one of the religious leaders, who was typically hostile towards Jesus, asked Jesus um, what he should do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And that was the religious leader talking. And Jesus said, that's right, you do this and you'll live. Well, the guy wanted to catch Jesus or provoke Jesus or get Jesus into an argument. So he, 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 it says he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus told this fascinating parable. He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was coming down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Another religious leader. 
But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, uh, money, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of this man until I return, and whatever else you spend, I'll repay it when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The religious leader said, Well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, You go and do likewise. Now this again shows Jesus' wisdom, understanding of his culture, and just absolute brilliance as a storyteller. Because the, the, the hero of the story was a Samaritan. And the Jews and Samaritans hated each other. There were racial issues. There was a racial undertone to this. Um, but they just hated each other. They, they were two groups of people who despised each other. And so you have a guy, obviously a Jewish guy, heading from one city to the other. He gets ambushed. He gets robbed. He's beaten. And here comes a priest. Oh, thank God. Here comes a, a, a pastor. Here comes a Christian leader. Uh, you know, here comes somebody who can help the man. No, no, he's busy. He walks by on the other side. Here comes a Levite. Oh, good. It's a Sunday school teacher, another leader, uh, another uh, person who's going to be able to help this man. No, no, he walks by on the other side. But then here comes the hated Samaritan, and he looks down on this Jewish man who the implication is might not do the same thing to him, but he shows mercy, he shows compassion. He helps the man, he takes care of him, he spends money to make sure that he receives the care that he needs. And then Jesus asked this, this religious leader that he's speaking with, the lawyer, of the, the one who explained the law, and, and said, so who showed him mercy? The priest, the Levite, the Samaritan. And the lawyer had to acknowledge that it was the, the, the neighbor was the man who showed him mercy. And, and I love what Jesus says. He says, you go and be like the Samaritan. Go and do likewise. Absolutely amazing parable. Um, still valid for us that we should look for opportunities to do good to others, that we should um, be willing to, to sacrifice, that we should be willing to help those who uh, might be unlovable, who really uh, we, we might not want to help. But as the Samaritan demonstrated, we should do that. And Jesus said, go and be like the Samaritan. The next parables in, in, in Luke's gospel that we want to talk about are from chapter 15. And we've got three parables in this chapter. You've got the parable of the lost sheep the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son, or the parable of two brothers, depending on who you let name it for you. But the lost sheep, he said, What man of you, if you have a hundred sheep and he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go and find it? And when he finds it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Wow, what a picture of our lives. 
And then he said, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who need no repentance. And he was telling this parable to a group, a mixed group. Um, there were there were tax collectors, there were sinners. Um, and the tax collectors got their own their own uh, special certification. You had your regular sinners, you know, your drunkards and your prostitutes and you know your drug dealers and just your normal sinners. And then you had the tax collectors. They were, you know, extra bad sinners. But there's this mixed group of sinners and tax collectors and Pharisees and scribes grumbling that Jesus was spending time with these bad people. So he tells the parable of the man who loses a sheep, leaves the 99 sheep to go find the one that was lost. What a beautiful picture of our salvation. Then there's the, the, the story in the same chapter of the woman who had 10 silver coins. Uh, maybe a bridal uh, present, maybe a dowry. But she's lost one of these coins, and this is extremely valuable. But Jesus said, what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one, doesn't light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And then she gets her neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found the coin that I'd lost. It's easy to say, well, you know, she's still got nine. It's easy to say the shepherd, you know, he still had 99. But in God's eyes, that one is very important. Then, of course, we've got the prodigal son. The young man who, who and just an amazing story, he, he says there was a man who had two sons, and the younger said to him, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And the implication is here, when you die. And the father divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property with reckless living. This is the, the prodigal. This is the young man who has uh, shamed his father by saying, hey, listen, give me your inheritance before you die. You might live a long time, and, and I want to go party now. And so he takes the money, and he blows it in wild living, and uh, his life falls apart when the money runs out. Now, this is, this is a, just an incredible story, first of all, that the father would even do that, but he does. And now the young man is left with the only job he can find is feeding pigs. And, you know, you can even imagine the, the parents who are hearing this story, and they're in the crowd listening to this story, thinking, why do I tell my kids this story? You know, what, this is what happens if you don't obey. This is what happens if you don't honor your father and mother kids you'll end up feeding pigs because that's about the worst thing any Jew could imagine. But this young man has an epiphany and he realizes that my father's servants are well taken care of. Um, I can never go back as his son. He'll never take me back because I brought shame to the name of our family. I can never do that. I can never go back, but maybe I can at least get a job there. He takes pretty good care of the hired hands and you know, I wouldn't be feeding pigs, and and then I can even maybe start paying him back from my wages. So you see the young man going through this, and he's got a speech rehearsed. And he's going to come home, and he's going to say, Father, you know, um, I'm not worthy to be your son, but hire me so I can at least work for you as one of your servants. And he comes walking home, and he he's met by a terrifying sight 
as he's getting closer to his house. And the sight is, his father is running towards him. And I can imagine the fear that he would feel. He said, I've never seen my dad run before. Men in the Middle East didn't run. It was undignified. And yet this father is running towards him. And I can imagine the boy thinking, oh, he has got to be so mad at me. Man, I just hope he doesn't mess up the dental work. You know, he's going to punch me in the face. He is going to hurt me. Um, and, and I deserve it. And yet when the young man closes his eyes to receive that incoming blow, instead of being punched, the, the father grabs the boy and hugs the smelly, stinky young man who's still his son. And he brings him in and he, he tells the servants, he said, <laughs> he said, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and let's get the fattened calf out and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. I can imagine even the servants saying, hey, why don't we, why don't we take him out in the front yard and hose him off first? Because the best robe in the house would be the father's robe. And that's what the father says. Go in my closet, get my new suit, bring it out, put it on this kid. And there's rejoicing. Now, the other part of this story is the older son, the, the, the older brother. He's still out working in the fields. He's having to carry his brother's load. His worthless brother is out partying and... He's carrying the load for the family farm. And he comes in, he hears music, he hears rejoicing, and he finds out his brother has come home and they're throwing a party for him. He's furious. Who wouldn't be furious? I'd be furious. You'd be furious. And yet the father comes out to comfort him, to say, no, son, come in, let's celebrate. And the the younger boy's like, how can you do this? Um, I've never run off on you. I've always done what you said. I've always done what you wanted. And yet this boy runs off and squanders your wealth with prostitutes and you throw him a party. And the father says, um, it's just an amazing response. He said, son, you're always with me. And all that's mine is yours. It's fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother was dead and is now alive. And he's, he was lost but is found. And I tell you, this is probably one of the greatest pictures in the entire Bible of God's grace. Um, Someone who's totally, completely unworthy, and that's us. If you deserve grace, it's not grace. And extending grace to them, and that's what God does. And let's not be like the older brother who says, wait a minute, they don't deserve to get in. Um, it's easy to fall into that attitude and have that, you know, in our minds, but, but that's not, that's not the heart of God as we see from the parable, beautiful parable. And you can see as we just did these couple of parables, how different they are from, from Mark's and Matthew's. Um, Luke was writing to, Luke was a pastor. Luke's writing, uh, to, to people who were outcast. You know, Matthew's writing to the Jews who, who are the promised people, um, Mark's writing to the Romans who think they're the promised people. They're, 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 they're in, they control the world, basically. The Roman Christians are part of that culture. And then Luke's writing to the outcast, the downtrodden. Uh, he, he, he referred to women and children more than any other uh, gospel writer. All right, a couple more, a couple more. And, and 
uh, Luke 18, Jesus told a parable to the effect that they always uh, ought to pray, but not to lose heart. And he said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. But there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him. She had some kind of legal issue, and she kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because the widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Again, what an amazing picture here. Jesus is telling this parable, and he's showing this, this widow's persistence with an unjust judge to be how we should approach God. And God is by no means the unjust judge, but Jesus uses the parable to illustrate the fact that because of her persistence, because she didn't give up, her request was answered. And so the the simple message from this parable is we should never give up in prayer. Um, we should always be praying. We should always be asking and seeking and knocking. And then one last one. This is from the same chapter, Luke 18. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Human nature hasn't changed much. There's a desire in all of us to, to work for our salvation, to feel like somehow we've earned um, right standing with God. In the religious leaders of Jesus' day, that was kind of where they were at. And Jesus was letting them know that um, you can't trust in yourself for your righteousness. There's nothing I can do to save me. There's not enough good works I can do. And this man went and stood and prayed and, you know, ticked off his uh, accomplishments to God, thinking God was going to be impressed. But instead, Jesus said it's the tax collector, the sinful tax collector, the hated tax collector who said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's the one who went down to his house justified. What a powerful picture that is. And again, we're talking about the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. Each of these parables are a great description of what the kingdom is really looks like. Well, I hope this has been helpful to you, just these few weeks of looking at some of Jesus' teaching, some of his parables, um, fascinating stories. We talked at the very beginning about the importance of, if you're a communicator, if you're a preacher, a teacher, learn to tell good stories. 
Your, your audience will appreciate it. Um, they'll understand you much, much more clearly. And those parables, those teachings, those stories that you, t- you, you present will really help you convey your message much clearer. Well, I'd love to hear from you. Go to davidspell.com. Let me know what you think, questions or comments. While you're there, make sure you drop your email address into that little box up at the top right so that we can stay in touch. And I look forward to seeing you all again next week on Leading and 